This episode of Ballarat National Theatre's Pride and Prejudice podcast is dedicated in loving memory to a real-life heroine, a force for good in this world, and a dear friend, Elizabeth Michelle Retoff. Her strength and compassion inspired so many. She is deeply loved and will always be missed. Chapter 8. At five o'clock, the two ladies retired to dress, and at half-past six, Elizabeth was summoned to dinner. To the civil inquiries which then poured in, and amongst which she had the pleasure of distinguishing the much superior solicitude of Mr Bingley's, she could not make a very favourable answer. Jane was by no means better. The sisters, on hearing this, repeated three or four times how much they were grieved. Oh, how shocking it was to have a bad cold. Indeed. How excessively I dislike being ill myself. But then they thought no more of the matter, and their indifference towards Jane when not immediately before them restored Elizabeth to the enjoyment of all her former dislike. Their brother, indeed, was the only one of the party whom she could regard with any complacency. His anxiety for Jane was evident, and his attentions to herself most pleasing, and they prevented her feeling herself so much an intruder as she believed she was considered by the others. She had very little notice from any but him. Miss Bingley was engrossed by Mr Darcy. Her sister scarcely less so, and as for Mr Hurst, by whom Elizabeth was seated, he was an indolent man, who lived only to eat, drink and play at cards, who, when he found her to prefer the plain dish to the ragout, had nothing to say to her. When dinner was over, she returned directly to Jane, and Miss Bingley began abusing her as soon as she was out of the room, with her sister's firm agreement. Oh, her manners! Very bad indeed. Such a mixture of pride and impertinence. She has no conversation, no style, no beauty. Oh, she has nothing, in short, to recommend her, but being an excellent walker. Oh, I should never forget her appearance this morning. She really looked she almost wild. Indeed, Louisa, I could hardly keep my countenance. Very nonsensical to come at all. Why must she be scampering about the country? Because her sister had a cold. And her hair. So untidy, so blousy. Oh, I hope you saw her petticoat. Six Ooh. inches deep in mud. Six inches deep. I'm absolutely certain. And the gown. Indeed. A oh, the gown which had been let down to hide it was not doing its office. Scandalous. Your picture may be very exact, Louisa, but this was all lost upon me. I thought Miss Elizabeth Bennet looked remarkably well when she came into the room this morning. Her dirty petticoat quite escaped my notice. You observed it, Mr Darcy, I am sure. And I am inclined to think that you would not wish to see your sister make such an exhibition. Certainly not. To walk three miles, or four miles, or five miles, or whatever it is, above her ankles, in dirt, and alone, quite alone. What would she mean by it? It seems to me to show an abominable sort of conceited independence. <laughs> A most country town indifference to decorum. It shows an affection for her sister that is very pleasing. I'm afraid, Mr. Darcy, that this uh, 
adventure has rather affected your admiration of her fine eyes. Not at all. Hmm? They were brightened by the exercise. A short pause followed this speech, and Mrs Hurst began again. I have an excessive regard for Miss Jane Bennett. Oh, yes, Jane. She is really a very sweet girl, and I wish with all my heart she were well settled. But with such a father and mother and such low connections, I'm afraid there is no chance of it. Mm, I think I have heard you say that their uncle is an attorney in Meryton. Yes, and they have another who lives somewhere near oh, Cheapside. That is capital. <laughs> if they had uncles enough to fill all Cheapside, it would not make them one jot less agreeable. But it must very materially lessen their chance of marrying men of any consideration in the world. To this speech, Mr Bingley made no answer, but his sisters gave their hearty assent. Quite so. Yeah, quite so. And they indulged their mirth for some time at the expense of their dear friend's vulgar relations. With the renewal of tenderness, however, they returned to her room on leaving the dining parlour and sat with her till summoned for coffee. She was still very poorly, and Elizabeth would not quit her at all till late in the evening, when she had the comfort of seeing Jane sleep, and when it seemed to her rather right than pleasant that she should go downstairs herself. On entering the drawing-room, she found the whole party at loo, and was immediately invited to join them, but, suspecting them to be playing high, she declined it, and, making her sister the excuse, said she would amuse herself for the short time she could stay below with her book. Mrs Hurst looked at her with astonishment. Oh, do you prefer reading to cards? Mm, that is rather singular. Miss Eliza Bennet despises cards. She is a great reader and has no pleasure in anything else. I deserve neither such praise nor such censure. I'm not a great reader, and I have pleasure in many things, Miss Bingley. In nursing your sister, I am sure you have pleasure, and I hope it will soon be increased by seeing her quite well. Elizabeth thanked Mr Bingley from her heart, and then walked towards the table where a few books were laying. He immediately offered to fetch her others all that his library afforded. And I wish my collection were larger for your benefit and my own credit. But I am an idle fellow, and though I have not many, I have more than I ever look into. Oh, I can suit myself quite perfectly with those in the room. Yes, I am astonished that my father should have left so small a collection of books. What a delightful library you have at Pemberley, Mr Darcy. It ought to be good. It has been the work of many generations. And then you have added so much to it yourself. You are always buying books. And... I cannot comprehend the neglect of a family library in such days as these. Neglect? I am sure you neglect nothing that can add to the beauties of that noble place. Charles, when you build your house, I wish it may be half as delightful as Pemberley. I wish it may. But I would really advise for you to make your purchase in that neighbourhood and take Pemberley for a kind of model. There is not a finer county in England than Derbyshire. With all my heart, I will buy Pemberley itself if Darcy will sell it. She is talking of possibilities, Charles. Upon my word, sisters, I should think it more possible to get Pemberley by purchase than by imitation. Elizabeth was so much caught with what passed 
as to leave her very little attention for her book, and soon laying it wholly aside, she drew near the card table and stationed herself between Mr. Bingley and his eldest sister to observe the game. Is Miss Darcy much grown since the spring? Will she be as tall as I am? I think she will. She is now about Miss Elizabeth Bennet's height, or rather taller. How I long to see her again. I never met with anybody who delighted me so much. Oh, such a countenance, such manners. And so extremely accomplished for her age. Her performance on the pianoforte is exquisite. It is amazing to me how young ladies can have patience to be so very accomplished, as they all are. All young ladies accomplished? My dear Charles, what do you mean? Yes, all of them, I think. They all paint tables, cover screens, and net purses. I scarcely know anyone who cannot do all this, and I am sure I never heard a young lady spoken of for the first time without being informed that she was very accomplished. Your list of the common extent of accomplishments has too much truth. The word is applied to many a woman who deserves it no otherwise than by netting a purse or covering a screen. But I am very far from agreeing with you in your estimation of ladies in general. I cannot boast of knowing more than half a dozen in the whole range of my acquaintance that are really accomplished. Yes, nor I, I am sure. Then you must comprehend a great deal in your idea of an accomplished woman. Yes, I do comprehend a great deal in it. Oh, certainly. No one can be really esteemed accomplished who does not greatly surpass what is usually met with. A woman must have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing, and the modern languages to deserve the word. And besides all this, she must possess a certain something in her air and manner of walking, the tone of her voice. Her address and expressions, or the word will be but half deserved. All this she must possess, and to all this she must yet add something more substantial in the improvement of her mind by extensive reading. I am no longer surprised at your knowing only six accomplished women. I rather wonder now at your knowing any. Are you so severe upon your own sex as to doubt the possibility of all this? I never saw such a woman. I never saw such capacity and taste and application and elegance united, as you describe. <laughs> I must protest, Miss Eliza, for I know a great many women who might answer to such a description. Mr. Hurst then called them to order, with bitter complaints of their inattention to what was going forward. As all conversation was thereby at an end, Elizabeth soon afterwards left the room. When the door was closed on Elizabeth, Miss Bingley turned to face the party. Elizabeth Bennet is one of those young ladies who seek to recommend themselves to the other sex by undervaluing their own. And with many men, I dare say it succeeds, but, but in my opinion it is a paltry device. A very mean art. Undoubtedly, there is a meanness in all the arts which ladies sometimes condescend to employ for captivation. Whatever bears affinity to cunning is despicable. Miss Bingley was not so entirely satisfied with this reply as to continue the subject. Elizabeth joined them again only to say that her sister was worse and that she could not leave her. 
Mr Jones must be sent for immediately. Mr Bingley was quite urgent. While his sisters, convinced that no country advice could be of any service, recommended an express to town for one of the most eminent physicians. This Elizabeth would not hear of, but she was not so unwilling to comply with her brother's proposal, and it was settled that Mr Jones should be sent for early in the morning if Miss Bennet was not decidedly better. Mr Bingley was quite uncomfortable. His sisters declared that they were miserable. They solaced their wretchedness, however, after supper by duets, while Mr Bingley could find no better relief to his feelings than by giving his housekeeper directions that every attention might be paid to the sick lady and her sister. Chapter 9 Elizabeth passed the chief of the night in her sister's room, and in the morning had the pleasure of being able to send a tolerable answer to the inquiries which she received very early from Mr Bingley by a housemaid, and some time afterwards from the two elegant ladies who waited on his sisters. In spite of this amendment, however, she requested to have a note sent to Longbourn, desiring her mother to visit Jane and form her own judgment of her situation. The note was immediately dispatched, and its contents as quickly complied with. Mrs. Bennet, accompanied by her two youngest girls, reached Netherfield soon after the family breakfast. Had she found Jane in any apparent danger, Mrs. Bennet would have been very miserable. But being satisfied on seeing her that her illness was not alarming, she had no wish of her recovering immediately, as Jane's restoration to health would probably remove her from Netherfield. She would not listen, therefore, to her daughter's proposal of being carried home. Neither did the apothecary, who arrived at about the same time, think it at all advisable. After sitting a little while with Jane, on Miss Bingley's appearance and invitation, the mother and three daughters all attended her into the breakfast parlour. Mr Bingley met them with hopes that Mrs Bennet had not found Miss Jane Bennet much worse than she expected. Indeed I have, sir. She is a great deal too ill to be moved. Mr Jones says we must not think of moving her. We must trespass a little longer on your kindness. Removed? It must not be thought of. My sister, I am sure, will not hear of her removal. Uh, yes, you may depend on it, madam, that Miss Bennet will receive every possible attention while she remains with us. Mrs. Bennet was profuse in her acknowledgments. I am sure. If it was not for such good friends, I do not know what would become of her, for she is very ill indeed, and suffers a vast deal, though with the greatest patience in the world. <laughs> which is always the way with her, for she has, without exception, the sweetest temper I have ever met with. I often tell my other girls they are nothing to her. <laughs> you have a sweet room here, Mr Bingley, and a charming prospect over the gravel walk. I do not know a place in the country that is equal to Netherfield. You will not think of quitting it in a hurry, I hope, though you have but a short lease. Whatever I do is done in a hurry, and therefore if I should resolve to quit Netherfield, I shall probably be off in five minutes. 
At present, however, I consider myself as quite fixed here. Mr Bingley, that is exactly what I should have supposed of you. You begin to comprehend me, do you? Oh, yes. I understand you perfectly. I wish I might take this for a compliment, but to be so easily seen through, I am afraid, is pitiful. That is as it happens. It does not follow, however, that a deep, intricate character is more or less estimable than one such as yours, Mr Bingley. Lizzie, remember where you are, and do not run on in the wild manner that you are suffered to do at home. I did not know before that you were a studier of character. It must be an amusing study. Yes, but intricate characters are the most amusing. They have at least that advantage. The country can, in general, supply but a few subjects for such a study. In a country neighbourhood, you move in a very confined and unvarying society. Ah, but people themselves alter so much that there is something new to be observed in them forever. Yes, indeed. Mrs. Bennet was quite offended by his manner of mentioning a country neighbourhood. I assure you, there is quite as much of that going on in the country as in town. Everybody was surprised, and Darcy, after looking at her for a moment, turned silently away. Mrs. Bennet, who fancied she had gained a complete victory over him, continued in her triumph. I cannot see that London has any great advantage over the country, for my part. Except the shops and public places. The country is a vast deal pleasanter, is it not, Mr Bingley? When I am in the country, I never wish to leave it. And when I am in town, it is pretty much the same. They each have their advantages, and I can be equally happy in either. Aye, that is because you have the right disposition. Mrs. Bennet turned her gaze to Mr. Darcy. But that gentleman seemed to think the country was nothing at all. Elizabeth blushed for her mother. Indeed, Mamma, you are mistaken. You quite mistook Mr. Darcy. He only meant that there was not such a variety of people to be met in the country as in the town, which you must acknowledge to be true. Ah, certainly, my dear. Nobody said there were. But as to not meeting with many people in this neighbourhood, I believe there are few neighbourhoods larger. I know we dine with four and twenty families. Nothing but concern for Elizabeth could enable Mr Bingley to keep his countenance. His sister was less delicate and directed her eyes towards Mr Darcy with an expressive smile. Elizabeth, for the sake of saying something that might turn her mother's thoughts, now asked her if Charlotte Lucas had been at Longbourn since her coming away. Yes, she called yesterday with her father. What an agreeable man Sir William is. Mr Bingley is not he. So much the man of fashion, so genteel and easy. He had always something to say to everybody. That is my idea of good breeding. And those persons who fancy themselves very important and never open their mouths quite mistake the matter. Um, did Charlotte dine with you? No, she would go home. I fancy she was wanted about the mince pies. For my part, Mr Bingley, I always keep servants that can do their own work. My daughters are brought up very differently 
But everybody is to judge for themselves, and the Lucases are very good sort of girls, I can assure you. It is a pity they are not handsome. Not that I think Charlotte so very plain, but then she is our particular friend. Mr Bingley was generous in his response. She seems a very pleasant young woman. Oh, dear, yes. But you must own she is very plain. Lady Lucas herself has often said so and envied me Jane's beauty. I do not like to boast of my own child, but to be sure, Jane, one does not often see anybody better looking. It is what everybody says. I do not trust my own partiality. When she was only 15, there was a man at my brother Gardner's in town so much in love with her that my sister-in-law was sure he would make her an offer before we came away. But, however, he did not. Perhaps he thought her too young. However, he wrote some verses on her, and very pretty they were. And so ended his affection. <laughs> There has been many a one, I fancy, overcome in the same way. I wonder who first discovered the efficiency of poetry in driving away love. I have been used to consider poetry as the food of love. Of a fine, stout, healthy love, it may. Everything nourishes what is strong already. But truly, if it be only a, a slight, thin sort of inclination, I'm quite convinced that one good sonnet will kill it stone dead. Mr Darcy only smiled, and the general pause which ensued made Elizabeth tremble lest her mother should expose herself again. She longed to speak, but could think of nothing to say, and after a short silence, Mrs Bennet began repeating her thanks to Mr Bingley for his kindness to Jane, with an apology for troubling him also with Lizzie. Mr Bingley was unaffectedly civil in his answer, and forced his younger sister to be civil also, and say what the occasion required. She performed her part indeed without much graciousness, but Mrs Bennet was satisfied, and soon afterwards ordered her carriage. Upon this signal, the youngest of Mrs Bennet's daughters put herself forwards. The two girls had been whispering to each other during the whole visit, and the result of it was that the youngest should tax Mr Bingley with having promised on his first coming into the country to give a ball at Netherfield. Lydia was a stout, well-grown girl of fifteen, with a fine complexion and good-humoured countenance, a favourite with her mother, whose affection had brought her into the public at an early age. She had high animal spirits, and a sort of natural self-consequence which the attention of the officers to whom her uncle's good dinners and her own easy manners recommended her had increased into assurance. She was very equal, therefore, to address Mr Bingley on the subject of the ball and abruptly reminded him of his promise. It would be the most shameful thing in the world if you did not keep your word. His answer to this sudden attack was delightful to Mrs Bennet's ears. I am perfectly ready, I assure you, to keep my engagement. And when your sister is recovered, you shall, if you please, name the very day of the ball. But you would not wish to be dancing when she is ill. Lydia declared herself satisfied. Oh yes, 
it would be much better to wait till Jane was well. And by that time, most likely, Captain Carter would be in Meryton again. And when Mr Bingley has given his ball, <laughs> you should insist on their giving one also. Indeed. I shall tell Captain Forster it will be quite a shame if he does not. Mrs Bennet and her daughters then departed. And Elizabeth returned instantly to Jane, leaving her own and her relations' behaviour to the remarks of the two ladies and Mr Darcy. The latter of whom, however could not be prevailed on to join in their censure of her, in spite of all Miss Bingley's witticisms on fine eyes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Ballarat National Theatre's adaptation of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, and will join us again next week for another episode. This production is directed by Liana Skews, narrated by Olivia French, and adapted for audio by Elizabeth Bradford, Olivia French, and Liana Skews. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Michelle Ritoff. It also features the voices of Olivia French as Elizabeth Bennett, Ryan O'Connor as Mr. Darcy, Paul Roberts as Mr. Bingley, Marley Vanderbale as Caroline Bingley, Lana Spencer as Louisa Hurst, Elizabeth Hardman as Mrs. Bennett, Daisy Kennington as Lydia Bennett and Amelia Pawsey as Kitty Bennett. This podcast was produced by Ballarat National Theatre on the lands of our traditional custodians, the Wadarong people. Cast recordings were made in the lands of the Wadarong, Wurundjeri and Boon people. Ballarat National Theatre acknowledges and pays respect to our traditional custodians and to their past, present and emerging leaders. Mm-hmm.